So welcome to the Compounding Center Connections, where we talk about different health conditions with our partner practitioners. I'm your host, Jay Gill, a compounding pharmacist from the Compounding Center in Leesburg, Virginia. Here at the Compounding Center, we partner with practitioners, collaborate, and create custom medications to help our patients get better. In this episode, our guest is Dr. Melissa Delgado from the Chronic Pelvic Pain Center in Northern Virginia. Dr. Delgado, thank you for joining us on this episode. Today, we're gonna to be discussing or talking about chronic pelvic pain in women. Before we get started, could you please uh, introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Yes, thank you, Jay, for having me. This is an awesome platform. And we're talking about something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, and it's chronic pelvic pain and um, painful pelvis trauma-related issues. So I totally appreciate this opportunity. I have established the Chronic Pelvic Pain Center approximately um, 10 years ago. It's evolved and it's changed, but I love the direction I'm moving in. And um, I originally tra trained in Northern, I mean, sorry, in Newport News where I did my residency. And I was lucky enough to train in this topic and get well-versed with my surgical training. And now I offer it exclusively to women um, that come from all areas nationally to um, our center. And I support women internationally uh, via telemedicine, which thankfully was um, popularized and utilized more <laughs> uh, robustly since COVID. Yeah. Um, so uh, a disclaimer before we get started, uh, the information discussed today is for informational purposes only, not for diagnosis or treatment. Um, so Dr. Delgado, what could you talk to about talk to us a little bit about what is chronic pelvic pain and how common is it in women? Yeah, you know, pelvic pain is often misunderstood and misdiagnosed. And the technical definition is any pelvic pain that lasts for more than six months and occurs in the lower abdomen or the pelvis. And, you know, the cause of pelvic pain is not always obvious and they include a lot of overlapping conditions that we may not be accustomed to linking together. So most commonly when people think of pelvic pain, they think of endometriosis, ovarian cysts, um, fibroids, but when they come in context with chronicity and chronic pain, women often can also develop other overlapping conditions that we now know as interstitial cystitis, irritable bowel syndrome, and or leaky gut. The pelvic floor is invested. We call that pelvic floor dysfunction. And then it can lead to symptoms that women don't often want to talk about, like painful intercourse, chronic vaginitis, and then anxiety and depression are involved. Um, and it's there's often this underlying link to trauma. Now, not everybody has trauma. There's just a higher um, percentage of women that experience all of these things have had some trauma in their life. Um, so most women that I see experience one or all of these. And um, unfortunately, there's an estimation of like 25 million women who suffer from chronic pain. 
And they often, yeah, and they often see, you know, several physicians before they come to me. I think it's between four to seven most recently. And they can spend a lot of their their month in bed, like two to three days to weeks. So they're spending more weeks in pain than out of pain. And um, that's that's what I, I love to work with so that we can kind of shed the light on what's going on and then treat women um, individually and specifically to kind of tease out what exactly is happening and how we can, you know, further um, treat all of the different things, not just endometriosis. So um, now men can also get pelvic pain too, right? Yeah, men can experience pelvic pain. I don't specifically deal with men, but there are pelvic floor physical therapists and urologists that recognize pelvic pain in men, and there is treatment for men as well. I think that's a a really uh, misunderstood aspect to pelvic pain, that men are definitely impacted, especially with interstitial cystitis, chronic prostatitis, and pain. So in this episode, we're just going to be talking about chronic pelvic pain in women. Um, Could you now talk to us, like, what does it feel like to have this pain or what are the symptoms of pelvic pain? Yeah, you know, I get this question a lot and I feel like there are wide ranges of symptoms. Some are textbook and some are a little bit more subtle and it depends how the patients identify and communicate and have the language to explain the type and location of pain. And it can range from everywhere from vague lower abdominal pain, you just don't feel good, it's timed with your cycle, and you prepare for it, right? You're ready when you know you get your cycle, it may not be good. Um, Cramping, constipation, um, gas and bloating and diarrhea, the abdominal kind of complex that goes with it. And then more subtly, women don't always associate pelvic pain and bladder. So you can experience this kind of sharp stabbing knife-like pain in your pelvis. That's not always timed with your cycle. Um, It almost feels like you always have a UTI. And that's Mm -hmm. what I hear about, like these UTI burning um, uh, pain that you experience. And then that contributes to pain with sitting and standing, pain with intercourse, then you get more anxiety and depression as the central nervous system gets upregulated, then your sleep gets impacted, so you're kind of cranky. And all of these things are um, uh, accumulation. It's not like it all happens at once, it kind of progresses, and they're all on their like individual slider. So Someone can have 10 out of 10 pain with their cycle, then it gets better, but then they have this random pain. They don't know where it's coming from. And it sort of kind of goes like that. So it could be very difficult to pin down where it's coming from and why you're experiencing these. And that's why women, they just want answers. They want to know why they're having this pain. Why is it the way that there is? And and sometimes we don't know because it's so interconnected. We have to kind of feel the layers until we figure it all out. Are there any uh, risk factors or causes of pelvic pain? 
Yeah, you know, for endometriosis specifically, we know there's a hereditary component and women um, have a lot of times their aunts, their mothers, their maternal grandmothers, their sisters. So there's that uh, lineage. Um, so we know that that exists. So in the GYN world, yeah, we, we are aware that there are some risk factors. And unfortunately, there is a hereditary component. Got you. So um, let's talk about some treatment options. And uh, so uh, could you talk to us about what are some treatment options available? Yeah. And I think this is really important to know that there are always options, period, hard stop. I think um, there's a lot of desperation when it comes to this um, uh, sort of overlapping conditions, because I think a lot of women feel like they've been to so many physicians, they've been to really good physicians that are specialists in their field. And that's all great. The problem is, is that they don't, um, kind of put everything together and treat everything as one thing, right? So remember that there are always options. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of, um, emotions of like failed, um, options yeah. out there. And I think that we need to rec recognize that it's multifactorial. It takes time and we have to recognize each thing that's involved. And then depending on the primary source of pain that dictates the treatment options that could range from medication, supplements, dietary changes, lifestyle changes, I use a lot of ozone in my practice and of course, surgery. So surgery doesn't have to be the first line, but it is always an option if you're in a tremendous amount of pain or you're looking to get pregnant or you failed other modalities. I, I don't think surgery is a failure. I don't think um, that women who want to go all natural, um, that that's problematic either. I think we have a full spectrum available. We just need to take the time to weave um, a customized plan together that works for the individual. And as common as chronic pelvic pain is and as textbook as some of the symptoms are, the person's the individual. So we need to work with the individual client to figure out what's gonna work for them on you know, what have they tried? What haven't they tried? What genetics are they presenting with that might kind of compromise or prolong some of their issues? Do they have other kind of chronic illnesses and immunocompromised states? Like, are they also dealing with Lyme? Do they also have um, an underlying chronic illness that prolongs everything from getting better? And we just have to take a different approach. And a lot of times, unfortunately, it's lifestyle and time. Uh, now, you know, having known you for so many years, you have a unique uh, uh, clinic. And could you walk us through as a patient, how do you go about treating chronic pelvic pain? Um, you know, at your practice, walk us through uh, because you have quite a holistic approach that you take with your patients. So could you walk us through what that is like for a new patient, uh, you know, that comes to your practice? Yeah, you know, because I understand pelvic pain is different for everyone, I really want to find everyone's unique and individual solution. So I also like working with protocols that I kind of know work and, um, and kind of in, insert it 
and, and prioritize its timing. I think timing of what I offer matters. So I don't want to be vague, but it really does depend on what we're treating. So endometriosis has its own sort of uh, treatment protocol. And um, for now, it's really about suppressing the cycle and whether we do that with herbs or um, progesterone only IEDs or contraception, that's the discussion that we have. And then we kind of go through each individual overlapping condition. And I work with explaining what it takes to heal each individual condition. And so I usually spend 60 minutes at the first session. We do a full intake. They fill out like 17 pages of, of uh, history. And then we go over it in its entirety. And I listen to the entire story until the patient feels like they're completely heard. They've said everything that they need to say. And then we um, do a physical exam if that's what they're um, okay with. And then once I have uh, my assessment and I kind of understand the full picture and I've done my physical exam and I, uh, I do some pain mapping, which means I kind of try to reproduce the pain during the physical exam to figure out where's the pain the loudest on that day. And then we go with, okay, these are the things I think you have, these five things. <laughs> and then how, in what order do we want them to treat? So when order, what, in what order do you want to treat them depends on where the patient's at, how old the patient is, are they desiring fertility? So many factors go into deciding what do we do first and how do we do it? So um, I have my uh, sort of my favorites when I deal with endometriosis, interstitial cystitis, irritable bowel syndrome, and that spectrum of disease. Pelvic floor, I identified, but I really love working with the pelvic floor physical therapist. And then we kind of try to figure out where in their protocol do we insert these physical therapists that are well-versed in their field. And then we kind of see how everything goes. So I usually see people weekly and as their symptoms improve, others might get better, others might get worse. And then we keep working it until they're symptom free. And that can take six months to a year, you know, depending on um, who we engage in their clinical and therapeutic plan. Now, um, you mentioned uh, about uh, using herbs uh, in your practice. Are there any nutrition, diet, or lifestyle recommendations that you also recommend? Yeah, you know, I love integrating alternative and holistic options. And there are some really good supplements out there for everything that I've mentioned. But unfortunately, you know, the, the basis of, of healing in general from a functional um, standpoint is always about lifestyle and diet. And I know a lot of people walk away saying, I don't, I didn't want to hear that. But it's true, there are certain things that make certain conditions worse. So specifically for interstitial cystitis, um, it's acidity level of foods that really aggravate and irritate the bladder. And if we can control that while we're doing all these other things, um, and, the, and the client understands it's a temporary thing, I think the buy-in is better than saying, oh, we're just going to just change your diet. You know, so there are specific things we could do for the bladder, for the bowel, for endo, 
at a baseline though, a lot of these are connected because of inflammation. So we really need to look at what are some of the healthy foods that we're eating that might be just aggravating our system temporarily, right? If it's not a food allergy, all of these things could be eliminated or decreased temporarily. And I think when people hear it's a temporary thing, then they're like, okay, I only have to do this for how long? Okay, I could do that. And then as you get better, the buy-in is bigger, right? So, oh, if I just don't have chocolate for six weeks, I will get better. And then after that time frame, I can eat chocolate again. Okay, but I won't have the same level of pain. So there's this um, give and take with pain. And also as, as we are human nature, we want to test that a little bit, right? Like, well, yeah. she wonder if I have a little chocolate. <laughs> But, you know, I get it. You know, I have done elimination diets myself, you know, and it's hard to change things that you like to do. But if the result is pain or no pain, then you need to make the decision, right? And it's temporary. Other lifestyle changes are once you decide you like doing that, it's better like movement. We just have to move, right? And for some people with pelvic pain, they can't even walk around their house, right? So me telling them to go get up and move is a challenge. And so I think that um, we have to be mindful of that and also work up to little goals like, okay, can you get off your couch today? That might be a goal for some people, right? Um, and for others, it's very frustrating that they can't do, maybe they are triathletes and they can't do what they're used to doing. So everybody comes at you at a different level and it's about managing expectations and also allowing the patient to understand that this time frame is really for healing. And once we heal, we can move forward. Um, and I think that's, that's what it's about, like learning and understanding what works from a lifestyle perspective. And a lot of people are like, you know what, I don't really need that coffee every morning. It's not even that great for me anyway. And they make these lasting changes that work. So, you know, you talked about uh, a little bit about just moving. How about, uh, do you recommend any at home exercises or, um, or is it, all kind of resting and healing? Um, no, the movement is really important, especially when anxiety and depression are involved. And we know that. Oh. So there's a lot of mindfulness techniques that are now more popularized with breathing, your diaphragm relaxes your pelvic floor. So breathing is really important. I don't think we really understand how we are supposed to breathe. I think people who do yoga and meditate regularly really understand that. Um, Meditation is really great for calming the mind and centering yourself. Yoga is great for stretching. And um, what we do is I, I kind of have people hold off on using core exercises, planks, peloton riding, bike riding, anything that kind of impacts the pelvic floor until they could get to the pelvic floor physical therapist and learn how to re-engage those muscles correctly and then they can go off and do all those things. So um, I really do watch the type of exercises they do, although I want them to move, but really walking, just walk and stretching is amazing. And I think we underestimate that. I think we feel like we have to do more, but we really don't, especially when we're in healing mode. And you know, newer to the practices I'm doing, um, energy healing. So it's okay. working with the 
full body, like mind, body, spirit, healing on all levels. And I feel like women in this situation that have this specific overlapping conditions really respond very nicely to energy work, whether it's acupuncture or intentional energy medicine that we're doing now. Um, and it's very gentle and calming. So I feel like that's going to be the one thing that I've been looking for to kind of get that um, 360 mind, body, spirit healing modality. I, I was looking for it for a while. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, but I really landed on this modality because I think it works, number one, and I think it's gentle. You don't have to touch anybody. And those who really resonate with that, who have had Reiki before, reflexology, um, they all kind of understand that energy is part of who we are, right? It's everywhere. It's everything. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not um, there. And I think that's the hardest thing for some people when you start working with energy healing. Um, but once you see the benefits, I think you're just, you're just know that it's, it's a great thing that's working because then you're happier, you sleep better. You're not as depressed. You're not as anxious. Your pain is way more manageable or it even goes away. And we get to root cause not only where, um, uh, the dis-ease is in your body, but also in those energetic areas, right? And so you feel um, so much better and more vibrant and a part of uh, society again, where a lot of these women kind of retract because they don't feel like they could do their life. I mean, going to the grocery store is huge for some of these women, you know, you're there you know, either moms and they have to, you know, or a wife, or they're just struggling as single women trying to just do their job or find a job or keep a job. So it's the spectrum of, you know, um, what women go through. And that's what we try to work on at, at the Chronic Health Pain Center. To say, having talked to uh, some of these uh, patients that we've had, I mean, I truly, just like you, feel like we need to do something for them. And uh, Dr. Delgado, thank you for joining us today. You shared a lot of good information with us. Now, how can someone reach you? Thanks, Jay, so much for this opportunity. It's so great. Uh, as you can see, I love talking about this. I could talk about this for hours. Um, <laughs> sometimes I keep my patients longer. Let me tell you this. But I feel like, you know, when I learn stuff from my patients, I feel obligated to share it, right? So that's where I'm at now. I want to share everything that I have accumulated. But you can reach us um, by calling 703-448-6070. That's our phone number. And then we just got a new website. So it's um, pelvicpaintdoctor.com. So I will make sure that uh, I will list the phone number and the website uh, on, in our show notes. Um, and thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Compounding Center Connections podcast. We hope you found this information presented today to be helpful. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at j at compoundingcenter.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel, The Compounding Center Connections, and stay tuned for future episodes. 